Well, praise God, what a joy to be able to preach on this day, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. I joked earlier on and said I'm going to say those infamous words as I begin, that I only have a short message to share with you today, but God did help me to keep it on time earlier, and so I don't think you're going to get an extended version now, but who knows. But we're going to just dive in and to a message that God put on my heart, which I simply titled this, I Choose You. I choose you. You know, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he was arrested and nailed to the cross, the Bible speaks a lot about the intense mocking that Jesus was subject to. A few weeks ago, uh, maybe even a couple of months ago, I preached a whole message about the shame of the cross, the mockery that Jesus endured by dying that way and being crucified. But it's interesting that there was one taunt that was repeated more than any other. And actually the Bible records seven different groups of people rallying around one theme. We have the rulers, the soldiers, the criminals, the passers-by, the priests, the scribes, and the elders uniting around one theme. Luke 23 verse 35 says, The people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36 to 37, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, that word means blasphemed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Mark 15, verse 29 to 30. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Mark 15 and verse 31. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Matthew 27, verse 41 to 42. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. I'm sure you've clocked the common theme that was running through. The taunt that they united around was simply this one. Save yourself. You've saved others, but you cannot save yourself. You know, it's interesting because... That very taunt tells us clearly something that had become widely known about Jesus. People were talking about him and they were saying this, he saves others. They'd seen what he was doing. They'd seen how he'd been setting people free and changing lives and healing the sick and bringing that liberty and freedom. And they saw him saving others. But for them now, perhaps the greatest irony was that as they looked upon him at the cross, hanging on a cross, seamlessly, seamlessly, uh, seemingly, sorry, looking helpless, they're like, well, what he did for others, he can't even do for himself. And they almost challenged him to prove himself. But what they failed to realize, that actually in that moment, resting in Jesus' hands, was the power of choice. And you know, the power of choice is an incredibly powerful thing. And their assumption was that he couldn't save himself 
But that was wrong. Because we're told actually he could have saved himself. But he chose not to. Matthew 26 verse 53 tells us on the night that he was arrested, he said to his disciples, do you suppose that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will immediately provide me with more than 12 legions. That's more than 80,000 angels. Guys, I can choose to get out of this. There is a different way. But instead I choose to go through this. Choosing to not go through with it would have been easier, would have been a less painful road to go down, but he chooses not to. Instead, the Bible records for us, and in the Gospel of Luke we're going to look at, and in the record of history, that Jesus made a different choice. And he made that choice because he had me and you on his heart. I was stuck on Luke 24 Verse 34, and the well-known words that Jesus prayed there in the significance of what Jesus was choosing in this moment as he hung upon the cross. He said these words. Would you read Luke 23, verse 34 with me this morning? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, rather than save himself the agony, Jesus chose To isolate himself, just him, in that moment, before the Father. He chose to isolate himself under the just and right judgment of God for our sin. He chose to isolate himself. And what I'm saying is this, that if I could paraphrase that moment and the choice that Jesus was making, it would go something like this. Father... I know you're holy and you're righteous and you're perfect and you're just and you're good. And for that reason, I know your judgment has to fall upon sin. And even though I've never sinned, I choose to say, let it fall on me. Not them. Forgive them. But count me as guilty. Show grace to them. You see, saving us meant not saving himself. Romans 3 verse 23 is a well-known scripture that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God means we all come up short of the standard that a holy, pure, just, and righteous God has. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it means to miss the mark. It was an archery term, as if to fire at a a target and the, the arrow dips and comes up short. And it means that in our lives, we live lives whereby we make choices and we do things that come up short. Of the standards of a good and righteous and just and holy God. And every one of us is guilty of that. That's why I'm not standing on some pedestal this morning just saying you're guilty. I'm guilty. Everyone's guilty. We fall short. We come up short. We have all sinned. Not one of us has ever been able to keep God's law. And we understand that in everyday life within a framework of justice. 
If someone is guilty, we hold them accountable and responsible for what they've done. And we understand that. There must be justice. If we know we've done something wrong and we say, yeah, I'm guilty of that, we accept accountability. We accept responsibility for what we've done. And that's why for me, the cross is the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. Because upon it hangs a savior, a sinless savior, Jesus, who's never done anything wrong, who fulfills the law, who lives a sinless life as a human, as a fully man. Not with any kind of superpowers, but he comes and lives obediently and righteously before a holy God, Father God. And then in that moment, he makes this choice and says, Father, hold me accountable. Hold me responsible for their sins. He couldn't be held responsible for his. He'd never sinned. He's saying, not them for where they've come up, but me. Charge me. Don't let it fall on them. You see, if he'd saved himself, which could have been the choice he'd have taken, if he'd have opted for, this is too much, I choose to save myself and call those 80,000 angels to deliver me in this very moment, what actually fell upon him would have fallen upon us. There would still be a price to be paid, a wrath to be born And so he chooses, the Bible talks about this, he becomes a substitute. He chooses to take my place. And what they didn't understand as they stood and they mocked and they taunted him. They never understood that saving himself would have been condemning us. It would have meant that if we didn't have him and we didn't put our faith and our trust in him, that when this life was over, there'd still be a penalty for sin to be paid. We'd still be guilty and liable. And people say, how can a loving God do that? Because he's good and he's just and he's right. And he's righteous and he has a standard. We would demand that if someone had done something wrong. We demand justice. So what does God do in that conundrum? Because God is love. And yet he's holy and just and he's pure. And Jesus says, listen, Father together. And the Father's speaking to the Son and the Son's speaking to the Father. And he says, let's do this. They're talking to each other. I will take it for them. I will become a substitute so that they can be free. Wow. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. We've seen so much death this last year. And if death was just simply the end, actually dying wouldn't be a big problem. But death has a sting. And the sting and the problem is if we die in our sins. I'm going to pause right there. I want you to watch this little video. Thanks, guys. Okay, let's go. Freddie once sang that he wants to break free. That pretty much captures the mood, you'll agree. No hugs, haircuts or holidays for over a year. The pubs and shops shut. No raucous cheer of fans at the game, of kids at school. Stay home, mask on, two-metre rule. But the lockdowns, the measures, they're not without cause. They've been there because death just will not pause. It's assault on us all through this miserable virus. 
Death is the reason they've had to require us to not see our family or friends for so long. It's death that's the problem. That's what's gone wrong. So here, then, is the issue you see. When all this is over, when they say, you are free, when we rip off our masks and we hug once again, when we dance and we sing and we gather with friends, I can't wait. But hold on. Because despite no restrictions, death hasn't gone. Virus or not, death wins the day, which kind of dampens our hip hip hooray. Unless, unless there was a way which we could be free from even the grip of death's tyranny. But how, you may ask, can we beat the grim reaper? Well, that is the wonderful message of Easter. Jesus, son of God, came to earth as a man. The word became flesh. It was always God's plan. And the reason he came was to die for our sin, to swap places with us so that we could begin the life we were made for, free from our shame. At the cross, Jesus took on himself all our blame, the perfect one coming to die in our place so that for all who trust him, they're given God's grace. But the message of Easter doesn't end there. Jesus died, he was buried, but no one could prepare for what happened next. He rose from the dead, meaning death no longer has to fill us with dread because on that Easter Sunday, Jesus broke free. He rose from the grave so that if you believe that Jesus died in your place and then rose, then listen to this, here's how it goes. You too no longer have to fear death whenever it is that you take your last breath because Jesus has beaten it. Here's your guarantee. Come to Jesus this Easter, believe, and be free. Stick is that. Come to Jesus this Easter. Believe and be free. Romans 4 verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And that word justification in the Bible is that in the original language, it means for our acquittal. He died for our sins, but he was raised to life for our acquittal. It's the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. Not guilty. What a beautiful thing that for when we put our faith and trust, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, the Father speaks not guilty over our lives. You see, Jesus didn't just have to die on a cross for my sins. He had to rise from the grave so that I could be free. To show the power of sin had been broken, the law had been fulfilled, the price had been paid. And at the cross, we know those famous words. We heard them in the children's video earlier on where Jesus cried out, It is finished. But I want you to know is Jesus rose from the grave. It's like the Father thundered from heaven. Amen. It is done. No penalty left for sin to be paid. No wrath left to be borne. No guilt or liability to be carried. That day a holy and righteous and perfect and just and pure and good God said, I approve through Christ. It is done. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54 says of that moment these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. And the Bible says for anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, 
that the Father says the same thing over our lives as he says over Jesus. The price has been paid. There's no price left to be paid. No penalty left. No wrath to be borne. No guilt to be carried. Ephesians 2, 6 talks about how God raised us with him. It's a mind-blowing thing to think that i done nothing, but Jesus done everything. And everything he did is credited to me. All that he achieved and all he went through. Jesus says, if you're in Christ, and I see him in you and you're in him, what he's achieved, I credit to you. My bank account was empty and his was full. And it was all credited to me. Wow. When does that ever happen? Jesus changes the face of death that Easter for anyone who puts their trust in him. Choosing not to save himself from the cross, but choosing to die for my sins and rise from a grave so I can be free. Hallelujah. Is anyone glad in the house of God and at home this morning that you are justified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Declared not guilty. Wow. But friends, I want you to know something this morning. That life is short and eternity is long. This is not it. Jesus is coming back. Where we spend eternity, what eternity looks like, depends upon whether we've trusted in Christ or walked away from him. I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. Has the price and the penalty for my sin been paid for me? Or is it yet to be paid by me? Will it sting? Have I been justified? Will I live eternally free from my guilt or eternally under the weight of it? I want to finish this morning by telling you something which is just amazing. And that's that in the new heaven and new earth. I want to tell you some stuff about what it's going to be like for those who trust in Jesus. People say, you know, will we float around on clouds? I can confidently tell you this morning, you will not be floating on any clouds. And I say that to you because bodies don't float on clouds. One day you will have a resurrection body. What will my resurrection body look like? When I die now, my soul goes to be with him. But there is a day coming when it all will be raised up. And my soul and my body will be reunited. And what will my resurrection body look like? Will it be subject to the same things I'm subject to now? Weak in the same way that it's weak now? Does it decline in the same way it can decline now? I don't think I'm the only one who aches and hurts in ways that I didn't used to ache and hurt. Trust me, if you sledge into a tree, it hurts. That's another different story altogether. But 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And you may have heard this before, and if so, just bear with me. But it's an agricultural term that means the first taste or the first example of what is to come. So when I look at Jesus, when he rose from the grave, I see an example of, for me, what is to come. He's the first fruits. What I see in him. Well, Jesus wasn't some ghost or spirit 
that floated around when he rose from the grave. He had a real physical body, a resurrection body. Luke 24 says, he says to them, see my hands and my feet, that is I myself, touch me. You can't touch a ghost or a spirit. Touch me, for a spirit, he says, does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. When Mary first arrives at the tomb and through the, 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 the glance and through the tears in her eyes, when she doesn't know where Jesus is and wonders if someone has stolen him and where is he, she sees a figure and she thinks it's the gardener, but it's Jesus. When the two are traveling on the road to Emmaus and talking with the other person who they think is just a traveler at first, they then come to realize it's Jesus. John 21, when the disciples are fishing and Jesus turns up on the beach, it says he cooked the barbecue breakfast for the disciples and ate with them. Hallelujah, good news, there'll be food. There could even be barbecues in heaven. I said earlier on, and I promise you this much, the weather will be great every time. There's a beautiful scripture in Job 19, verse 25 to 27 says, For I know that my Redeemer and Vindicator lives, and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. Even after my mortal skin is destroyed by death, yet from my immortal flesh I will see God, whom I, even I, will see for myself. And my eyes will see him and not another. My heart within me faints. Listen, if you trust Jesus as surely as you see this lectern in front of you now, you will see him then. Yes, when I'm saved, God gives me a new heart. But there is a day coming when he has promised me a new resurrected body. Jesus is going to complete his redeeming work. In your life. And every religion carries some idea or connotation of the idea of survival in some way that some part of you will live on. We even have songs that are written about it, don't we? Celine Dion, my heart goes on and all that jazz. My heart will go on. Get it in there. Uh, I nearly did. You heard that little break in my voice. I was nearly going for it. I just pulled out for the benefit of you all, really. I do. I can't probably can't sing because that's the that's the that's the song me and my wife danced to when we got married. So, but I'm kind of ruining it now by preaching against it. So, the resurrection of the body, friends, is a unique jewel of the Christian faith. Heaven's not some half-life. It's a full one. And this body, this is good news. That it's going to have some similarities, but the good news is this. It's going to be very different as well. In your own time, read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 to 44, and I'm finishing up now as I go through this. It says there that the body you will have then when you see him and you are with him in the new heaven and the new earth, it will be imperishable. That means your body will never wear out. It will never get sick. It means every limitation and disability will be gone. It will never age and never decline. Can someone say amen? Amen. The blind are going to see. The lame are going to walk. Think about what it means for people in wheelchairs. They're going to run and dance and be free. If you have struggles in your body now, I've got good news. You won't have any then. The Bible says in verse 43, it's going to be glorious. It says in verse 43, it's going to be powerful. 
Listen, that means your body there is going to have more energy and stamina and speed and coordination and durability and capability than your body here and now. Amen. 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 It's going to be spiritual or godly. Verse 44. When I dwell here now in a body that often seems to go against a godly life despite my best intentions, there I'll have this body that's fully responsive to God, that loves Him more than anything and desires Him more than anything. Never again, friends, when we're aching and hurting or we're tired or we're weary or we don't have the energy to do something, will we ever again turn to one another and say this, Oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. (laughs) No. Because all of me will want all of him. See, at the heart of a Christian faith stands a risen Jesus, a living Savior. Able to save me because he didn't save himself. I finish with this quote and my appeal. Jesus offers more than a creed to believe in or a code to live by. He offers us himself. The Savior who has triumphed over sin, death and hell is able to deliver all who belong to him. The taunter said to Jesus, save yourself. Come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. His unspoken answer was this. I will not save myself from the cross, but I will raise myself from the dead and offer salvation to others. Friends, as the risen Savior, this Easter Sunday, Jesus is able to say to you what no one else can say to you. He's able to do for you what no one else can do for you. He says, I can take away your sins. I can change the face of death. I can close off hell and open up heaven. There's no one else like Jesus. John 11 verse 25. Jesus says these words. If you believe them. Say amen and at home and in the room with me this morning. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 1 John 5 verse 12, he says, whoever says that whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Bam, do you want to come back? I want to ask you a question this morning. What does that mean? It means this, if you haven't before, this Easter, place your life into his hands. Your past, your present and your future. Ask him to deal with your sins and trust him and look to him. Swap sin for righteousness, guilt for freedom, judgment for eternal life, hell for heaven, sting for joy. I want to say to you this morning, thank God Jesus didn't save himself from the cross. Thank God he rose from the grave and he is our living saviour. Amen.